0: Hello and welcome back to Sporting Lives with Jonathan Deutsch. Thanks for joining us for Episode 8, Part 3, the final part of the Eddie Gray story. Loads to look forward to in this section as well. Not least those England-Scotland battles on the training park at Elland Road that Don Revy had to ban. What came after the Revy years as well? Eddie comments on the Brian Clough moment in Leeds history, Jimmy Armfield and the managers that followed including himself and his various tenures at the club and you'll also get to hear Eddie's all-time greatest Leeds United 11 does it include his brother we'll find out because I asked him what it was like to play professional football alongside brother Frank
1: well it wasn't strange for me because you know when I was, when I, funny enough, when I made my debut, Don never told me I was playing. Until uh, a Saturday morning. And my mum and dad obviously couldn't get down for Scotland. But it just so happened, Frank was staying with me for that weekend in my digs. So Frank was at the game. And, uh, you know, when Frank f- took the same path as me. It, so it wasn't a surprise to me when Frank made it into the first team for Leeds, eh, because Frank had a lot of talent. You know, Frank played with the Glasgow Schoolboys, Scottish Schoolboys. My biggest dis- disappointment at the time was that Frank never went to Celtic, basically because of my dad as well. You know, because he seen me leaving seven years earlier. Frank's seven year younger than me. Frank was a ball boy at Celtic Park. He was Celtic daft. You know, I remember in the early 70s, 60s, I remember we played Celtic, you know, and a friendly and we beat him up at Celtic Park and Frank wouldn't have talked to me. Or, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't he wouldn't have. He talked to me, he shut himself in his room, because we'd beat a Celtic, because he was a Celtic supporter. Yeah. But the funny thing is, um, the same scout, John Barr, he did exactly the same thing. He went up to see my mum and dad and he says, we'd like Frankie down at the weekend, you know, his leads and have a look. And I had no influence over Frank coming to Leeds whatsoever. Because at that particular time, for my dad's sake, I wanted Frank to go to Celtic. It never happened. Um, so when Frank came to Leeds, obviously, he it it was a midfield player, Frank, as well. Yep. I mean, I would have rather seen Frank play his career in midfield than playing at left back. in mm-hmm. uh, no disrespect to to Frank, or anybody that plays at left back or full back, you know, but I thought Frank had the talent to be, and he did, he played all his games, early games in midfield, as a midfield player. Um, I mean, I went to play at left back when I was in my 30s and I didn't find it difficult, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah, uh, I I used to find it difficult playing that. Well, I think um, the thing about, I think the thing
1: about it is is you know like that's why I have great respect for you know strikers because nine times out of ten you're playing your, your back to the goal, you've got to be clever enough and quick enough, you know, and have a good knowledge of how to play the game when to knock it off, when to hold it, when to turn, when to make runs in behind people. But when you're playing, when I I found when I was playing at left back whole pitch was in front of me I could see everything and that makes it a little bit easier even easier than playing outside left because when I'm playing outside left there's people come up your back and and try to give you a whack or whatever you know it's the game's changed now obviously they're not allowed to challenge for the back now but you you were then Um, but Frank became great left back won the European Cup.
2: Can I was going to say, so I guess, um, and absolutely no disrespect to Frank, who incidentally I've never met, so maybe you could facilitate yeah. that, to Eddie. Right. Um, but definitely no disrespect to Frank, who I again watched from the terraces back in the day. But you would have to be the more famous of two brothers, I would think, in the general footballing public's mind. 12 international caps Frank as you say 30 odd yeah. um, and won the think, European Cup yeah and won a European Cup under, oh, under no, Frank,
1: the... Frank was a great player Frank played in a you know, terrific Nottingham Forest team Yeah. played in a great Leeds team um, but I mean I think Frank was always going to be a top player whoever he played with, or wherever he played whether it was midfielder you know like, at fullback when he made his name basically But I think that's why Frank became such a good footballer because he had a midfield player's knowledge of how to play the game, he had the talent to play in midfield. So, and he was quick, very quick, Frank. So, that aggers well for being a good left back. I mean, Terry Cooper had the attributes, you know. Terry wasn't as quick as Frank, but Terry, for his knowledge of playing outside left, probably knew how wingers like to play and what wingers didn't like, because, you know, when I went to left back a bit like Frank, I would think, well, if I was playing against an outside right, it was good in the ball and good at running you. I'm not going to let him do that. I'm going to take him the other way and get forward a lot, which he wouldn't like to defend the goal, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's just, you know, like, just a little bit of knowledge of how to play and how to, you know, combat your weaknesses, you know.
0: If you're
2: listening in, wondering why we're not going game by game through Eddie's career and all those great matches, I guess those have been covered a lot over the years, um, and not that I don't want to touch them. When we probably will if they come up in conversation. Yeah. But there's other things as well, other little aspects. I once, I think it might have been when we worked together that evening, where you talked about in training on Fullerton Park some some of the hardest games you ever played in that will never be in the the FA. Record books no. were England, Scotland, but from the League United squad when you think about this the Scottish players you had on the side no. uh, Surely England couldn't win a game could they and where did Johnny Giles fit into all this? Johnny floated
1: <laughs> You know if it was a man shot and on one team, Johnny was just playing. No, they were they were pretty tough games. Yeah. Don stopped them though, you know, because they were getting a bit out of hand
2: Did anybody ever miss matches as a result of No, No,
1: no, no, but I think Don was fearful it could happen Especially when Bobby was around, you know, uh. <laughs> and Billy. Uh, no, there were some fierce, fierce games, uh, and Don called a halt there, Because even the low, you know, we were teammates. There was always that rivalry between England and Scotland, you know, I mean. Well, the home internationals were. I remember, before, you know, no, I've got to say this, is. I mean, people say, you know, you know like, would you like England to win the World Cup? I remember in 1966, the World Cup final. Uh, we were a bit fearful of England winning it and beating Germany. And we went to a hotel around the corner for here, called the Faversham okay, yeah, Hotel. Yeah, yeah. Me, Peter and Jimmy Lumsden and watched the game out in there. So we were right out of the way, nobody <laughs> could find us. And we got a bit of ribbon when we went into the club after the World Cup final. You know, you, you get a little bit older, you mellow a bit, uh, and you look back and it is, is a great day for England. But in those days the the rivalry was still very strong. You know, you know, for England to beat Scotland, and I mean, you only need to look at the crowds that went to the games. I mean, one hundred. I've been to Hampden Park with one hundred and fifty thousand. You know, and when I played against England at Hampden Park, one hundred and thirty-six thousand. Yeah. So there was that intense desire to win the games. And even on the training pitch. And uh, you know, that it didn't change whether it was a whether you're playing at Hamden Park, Wembley, or Fulton Park, you're still playing for Scotland against England.
2: My dad tells a story that he did his national service in the fifties and he met a guy who played for Third Lanark as, yeah. what, you know as part of the cohort and kept in touch with him. So he went to Hamden for England Scotland International and he said I never even thought about this at the time, but I was sitting there, and England must have gone one 0 up. And Dad gets off his seat and waves his rattle or whatever his <laughs> scarf, and he sort of looked around and realised well, you could hear a pin drop where he was sitting.
1: Must have been a brave man. <laughs> you know, there, there, there was that rivalry. I mean, funny enough, you you talk about things like that, and and growing up, and, and that, you know, that's one of the disappointments for me now is that. Scottish football isn't the same now. You mentioned Thirlannock then. Oh, Thirlannock were a great team. Hilly, Harley and Grey. That was their inside forward, centre forward. Joe McInnes outside left. They had a real top team then. And you look at Scotland now, and the reason I think the Scottish teams are lagging behind, because obviously it's not a level playing field anymore. I mean, you know, when Celtic won the European Cup, it wasn't a Premier League, Mm. you know. It was it was a level playing field. Celtic could keep all of their best players. Now mm. know that Celtic have to let the best players go. I mean, you actually look. Uh, Celtic overall was a great network at producing players and getting players. I mean, you go back to Leeds United, and you get Marvin come coming for Celtic. Yeah. You know that, that would never have happened years ago. And the best centre half in the world in it, Van dyke a Celtic yeah. player, and he went to Southampton. You know, for a Celtic player to go to Southampton, I just wanted to show you how much the game changed from a financial point of view when the Premier League started, and that's a disappointing thing for for Scottish football just now, uh, that it's not got that same depth, strength, and depth that it had years ago.
2: Which leads me—I mean, you, you alluded to what you were doing on 66 World Cup final day. Of course, Scotland then famously beat England the yes, following year and yeah. claim themselves to be world champions. Yeah. Completely wrongly. Yeah. Um, but then, the, you know, the, I mean, we've talked about some of the players already, and we've not even mentioned names like Joe Jordan, Gordon McQueen, yeah. uh, who came along a little bit later yes. when Frank had, had sort of joined. Yeah. That, you know, that was a, a hell of a, a nucleus of Scottish players, in mainly in English football, but there were still some players, Danny McGrain and the like, oh. who were playing north of the border. Well, the 74 is what I'm building towards here, Eddie. The 74 World Cup. Well, was that your big chance? Because that was a. You know, I know a, they went out in the group first, but yeah, that was a really good team. Strong side,
1: I mean, probably the, the strongest side, you know, on paper that they could have had, you know. Did you? Uh, I know you've been injured no, most of that no, season. And that I man. never played in the World Cup final. you know, and that was that was a big regret, you know. Uh, later, my brother has, Joe has, Peter has, Big Gordon, McQueen. I still speak to them on the regular basis. I spoke to Joe the other day and Gordon. Uh, yeah, I think that and that all happened basically because uh, you know, like John Barr, the connection and, and Bobby Collins with Joe Jordan yeah. you know, told on about this young Scottish player, he's he a bit raw but he, he turned out to be a top player and Bobby was proved right, you know. And But we had a great tradition of, I mean, there was players that came that never made it at the club um, and you know the 60s and in you know, the 70s they were still coming down scottish schoolboy by internationalists
2: and you mentioned jim McCullough for yeah, a well, didn't really make his name at leagues did he but he went on to be you know very successful elsewhere
1: yeah well jimmy see the, the thing people don't realize about jimmy jimmy walked out the door jimmy left um only because uh, it was a bit strange in those days see when we signed um for Legion united we were amateur footballers. We had the same as amateurs. I mean, when I first came here, I was supposed to be, you know, a motor mechanic. Right. And, you know, <laughs> Peter, Peter worked for Petty's Printers. He yeah, used to work ah, across yeah, the road. Yeah. My dad used to work for Petty's Petty well, yeah. well, supposed to. Never seen it. Yeah. Never been inside. So, Jimmy came, with Peter, and the big worry for Don, and it, it it backfired on them with Jim McCallio because um, we we could walk out the door anytime. You know, we were amateurs. Mm-hmm. Between we, between the ages of 15 and 17, English boys signed apprentice professionals, that tied them at the club, but we weren't allowed to. That was the rules then. We're the same as amateurs. Yep. So if I was at Leeds United and I'd have went and signed for Farsley Celtic, another amateur club, that was my contract finish with Leeds. You know, I, I could have walked out the door anytime. So clubs knew this. Especially one shrewd manager, who was one of the shrewdest managers of the game, his manager at Chelsea at the time, the Not dog, novelty, yeah. he came and <laughs> he took Jimmy, uh, he took Jimmy. And what he did, um, he moved on the Macaulay family to London, well all the Macaulay family lived in Leeds anyway, so that was nothing, he offered Jim's family, you know, a package because he knew he was buying a top class player, and funny enough, you know, like, I seen Jimmy McCallough the other day. I was at Bobby Brown's funeral in Scotland. Yeah. The ex-manager who was manager in that 67 game. And Jim McCallough scored in that game. Jimmy was only 19 then, 18, 19 I think he was then. Jimmy scored in that 3-2 game. Scored the winner, I think, Jimmy. And uh, I seen Jimmy the other day. No seen him for years. Lives up in Scotland now. But he, in, even before I was 17, he said, he come back to me. A couple of other clubs come back. And it would have been the same with Peter, because he knew we were amateurs. Um, so, Don had to work hard and to keep the Scottish boys. And then it changed, they could become apprentices. When Frank came, they could become an apprentice professional, like the rest of the English boys. But for the first few years, like with Jim McCallig, myself and Peter especially, Don would have been in like tender hooks. She's mm. looking at people like Tommy Dock and you, because Tommy tried to get me as well when I was in between 15
2: and yeah, 17. Yeah, I think I've yeah. seen you saying that before, yeah. Uh, you are listening to Sporting Lives by the way, myself, Jonathan Doidge, and uh, my special guest today is um, Eddie Gray, uh, great of Leeds United and Scotland fame. Thanks again to Ian Holding and ICS for um, allowing me to record this podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jonathan deutsch with any thoughts you've got um, on future guests or any questions you might have for future guests, or at uh, jonathan oh, sorry jd at jonathan Doidge.com. So let's get to the nitty gritty, Eddie. You're gonna have to disappoint a few of your mates here. You've got eleven men to walk out on the field. You're one of them. So who's the other ten best players you played with?
1: Well, it's, it's a difficult one now because, um...
2: No offence sitting, please.
1: No, no, <laughs> I will sit in the fence in on this one, no way. Because, you know, silly enough as it seems, pe- people always say Sprake, Cooper, Bremner, Charlton Hunter, Lorimer, Clark, Jones, Giles and Gray. And oh, I always Medley. say it, and where's Paul Madeley? Yeah. Paul Madeley played 700 games. Paul Madeley would been the team. I'm not saying where he would be in the team. Where it'd be <laughs> centre back, right back, left back, midfield. Even played centre forward at times. Paul Medley. Paul was a great, great player. Uh, so I would say.
2: Okay, I would, I'll tell you what. We've got, we've got, we'll, we'll do 12 men then. Yeah. Um, because we'll accept that on any given day, one of those might have a tweak. Well, well
1: you know, Paul Rini broke his leg, played a lot of games at right back. Terry Cooper broke his leg, played a lot of games at left back. I was injured at times. He was playing midfield then. Set midfield. If Mick Bates never played, Paul would play in midfield. In the early days, played centre forward at times. I think when when we played against Burnley, when I scored the two goals, I think Paul Medley was playing. Paul Medley was playing centre forward. I think that day.
2: Really? I think so. Yeah. So he's in. Uh, and is it the rest that you've just listed uh, aside from that? Is Gareth yeah. breaking yeah. their head of David Harvey, for example, or David Stewart?
1: That's a difficult one, because in his younger days, and I'm going back to when I first came to the club, um, I don't think I've ever seen a better natural goalkeeper than Gary Sprague. Natural goalkeeper. He could do everything. Um, Great hands. But then when the media got involved heavily, and I mean games when televised on a regular basis, they found it difficult, Gary. David was a different type of goalkeeper. I think David was the most solid goalkeeper at the end of the day For the point of view, uh, he was more like a Gordon Banks type of goalkeeper. You know, an Nigel Martin. Yeah. Never made many errors. You know, steady. Maybe not as flamboyant. But, Um, not famous
2: for his howlers on television no
1: and that's what done Gary at the end of the day Um, but I remember you know you go back to the first cup Uh, if Gary wouldn't have been playing that night hungry we would have beat he was unbelievable I mean unbelievable Um, so at his best at his best I would say he was as good as any goalkeeper I've seen
2: I praise, and you know, I'm just talking pure football as well, not to do with the stuff that was said and that sort of thing later on. Just purely as uh, footballers, and um, David Harvey was around in the, at the era when, yeah. when Cluffy came yeah. to the club. Yeah. Um, so, so Don's decided to, to call time on an amazing time. Yeah. Um, there doesn't look to have been at that stage massive succession planning, but he has brought in Joe Jordan. Uh, Trevor Cherry's come along, Gordon McQueen's playing by that stage. Yeah. So there's, there is some progression. But yeah, do you th- I, th- I
1: think was, was I don't think Don um, relished the thought uh, of certain players coming towards the end of their career and having to move them on. I think that's you know I never really spoke to him about it, but I think that's one of the reasons he decided it was time for him to go
2: that's an interesting character study of him isn't it because of what he's done but he, and he's invested so much kind of love in that team and that yeah. squad and the he club can't, yeah and he's to the club he can't he can't bring himself to break that up so so there's there's an element of soft center to that isn't there really when you when he he was always sort of known for having a quite a hard exterior mm,
1: yeah on, on the outside you yeah, know but don was Don looked after the players and the families. Now, if there was anything, and the kids were ill or your, your wife or someone, they'd try and make sure they get the best treatment. Uh, he looked after the players, Don. Uh, and I think, I'm not saying that was the reason that it left, but I think it would have been a, a factor, you know, that breaking up a team that had, you know, like, and people talk about the, the 10 years. But it was before the to ten years as well. You go back to the early sixties when he took over and he gets all these young boys in, including myself, nineteen sixty-two, when I first came joined the club in sixty-three, Peter sixty-two, you know, and, and the boys before that. A few of the boys were at the club. But he grew up with them as young men, you know, and, and developed into what they became some of the household names throughout the country for a footballing point of view. So I think that would have disappointed them to see players having to move on. And eventually the club obvious you know the, the team had to break up uh you know you know age doesn't wait for anybody time stands still for no man uh,
2: so without making this just a one sweeping response to one question about what's happened since you know the european cup final in 1975 but what about those those intervening years yeah there was the howard wilkinson championship yeah. inside after you'd finished playing um but your involvement you know as a player uh, you mentioned moving to left back and then of course managing the club player managing back again as youth team coach reserve team coach you know can you take us sort of well briefly? you know
1: no well,
2: when do left the club obviously i
1: i was having problems injury i played as i mentioned before in the charity shield for brian um i think the club i don't think it's any secret the club told johnny giles he was getting a job and then it just fell apart through circumstances and they, they got Brian. I think if Brian would have came with Peter Taylor, it may have been different for him. Because I think Peter Taylor, I've watched documentaries of mm-hmm. Brian and mm-hmm. a few incidents and tunnels and that. You can see Peter Taylor pulling him away and telling him to calm down. So he'd have been the voice of reason in, in yeah. Brian's head yeah. when he was firing off at people. Yes. Year yeah, yeah, saying. yeah, everybody. Uh, just, yeah. just how he come in. I think if, if Peter had been there, I get the impression he could just pull the reins in on him. Because he was a fiery character, obviously one of the greatest managers this country's produced. When you look at his record, Derby County, Nottingham Forest, one of two European Cups with Forest, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, But when he came to our club, it was the wrong time for him. Um, And yet, what I don't think what he could understand was is that how Don's team had just won the league and won the league comfortably. Uh, And when Jimmy Arnfield come in and and Jimmy steadied the ship Jimmy was a different type of manager to Don and Brian Jimmy was quiet um, Jimmy didn't like a lot of confrontation uh, that didn't bother Don Mm. didn't bother Brian especially Uh, but I think it just goes to show you that Brian just never did it right because Jimmy took took the team to the European Cup final that year and beat a lot of good sides. Should probably won the European Cup final, yeah. but unlucky not to win it. So Jimmy was a bit unlucky for that point of view. But then, Jimmy transformed the club in a way, bringing new players in. But it was always going to be difficult, regardless of who you brought in. He brought in some terrific players. There's great players came at the club. You know, I mean, Tony Curry was a terrific yeah. player at the football club. You know, you'd, 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 you a young Ray Hankin who was one of the best centre forwards around. Then he had a lot of players. Arthur Graham coming down for Scotland. Mm-hmm. Arthur was a terrific mm-hmm. player. So to replace the players, uh, or to try and replace the players that had left the club was always going to be very difficult. Because, you know, I grew up with Don Ravy's team, but I also played with all the players I've mentioned. And they were great players. They were great players. But were the midfield players as good as Brendan Giles? In my opinion, no. And that's no disrespecting him because I'm talking about two of the greatest players that played the game. So that was always going to be difficult for any manager to come in to replace and try and get their days back. Howard's team, Howard's team was the great team. Uh, and they had, you know, the nucleus of that side, and uh, I don't think I'm out of place in saying this, it was in the midfield area. Yeah. When you get Strachan, Batty, McAllister and Speed. Uh, so they were a very, very strong, strong outfit they had other players as well, no doubt about Rod Wallace, you know, yeah. Chapman, even look at the defenders, you've Tony Diego. Diego, you know, he's a lot of good players. You know. So Mel Sterling come in and phew, up and down the flanks, you, you two centre backs who you know were strong. They just did their jobs. So they were they were obviously a terrific side.
2: Uh but you're backing your lot to beat them.
1: <laughs> I, would to beat, legs. I would have backed their team to beat legs. team to anything. Yeah. On the day. Sure. On the day. I would have done. I mean, when we played in the semi-final European Cup, and we played against the great Barcelona team, yeah. uh, Cruyff and Niskins and players like that, we, I mean, Ellen, would be throwing the game four or five. You know, you know, on our day, we were as strong as any team that played. I mean, I look back now, and I, you know, and I see some articles to the old players. I was reading an article uh, the other week, and it was a few of the Chelsea players, and it was Ron Chopper Harrison. He says, Leeds United are the best team I've ever played against. You know, so, you know, that that says everything of the the team.
2: And Eddie Gray's not giving me my studs back yet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Correct. And then the team moved on and obviously, um, Jimmy Adamson came in and and Dave Merrington worked with Jimmy. I think it was a bit difficult with Jimmy, I think, because Jimmy never used to come out of the training part much, you know which I found strange because Mm. when you spoke to Jimmy Adamson, he had a great knowledge of how to play the game. He he, he spoke well about the game. But we would have a a team talk on a Saturday and it would be something like completely different to what we'd been working on on the training pitch. And I found that a bit strange, you know. And I think that's why it never worked for Dave and and Jimmy. You know, uh, although they were a partnership, Seem to be at times pulling different direction. Yeah, you know, and the two of them uh, had good knowledge of the game. But you know, Dave took all the training, and Jimmy would be in the office, and then Jimmy would take the team talking on a Saturday. I was just a bit strange, you know. Mm. Uh, and then obviously Alan come in, and Alan took over, and you know, it was Alan basically put me to play in a defensive position in left back, and which I enjoyed. And then I. You know, like, Alan get the sack and they took over, and the club had not a lot of money. And, and that was difficult, but we had a lot of good young players uh, that went on to make good careers for themselves. You know, you you like say, Scott Sellers and Tommy Wright, John Sheridan, who everybody knows. John was a big favourite of the football club, and John stayed on at the club and played after mm-hmm. I left. You know, with Andy Linnigan, he went to the Arsenal, oh, yeah. you know, and obviously uh, Dennis Irwin who won yeah. so many trophies at Manchester United Terry Phelan yeah. you know we had two goalkeepers one I let go with John Lukic obviously yeah. uh, and with big Dave Seaman and you know I had two young goalkeepers at the time and, uh, and the two of them were not to have great careers Dave you know we on not to have a terrific career as everybody knows but that particular time I felt that John was uh, the strongest goalkeeper you know, and I get Dave Harvey back just as a you know strong backup, yep. and Dave eventually played, and I got Peter back as well to help the young boys, and Peter did a terrific job uh, in the 80s. But the club wanted to move forward quicker than I was taking them, and they they got Billy, in. and Billy was about unfortunate the playoff games, and, yeah, semi-final uh, okay, yeah, cool. and then Howard came in and they found a bit of money, yep. uh, and they bought players in, and Howard spent the money wisely and the players they brought in and they were a terrific side. But their side broke up pretty quickly. Mm. The game was beginning to change then. Players moving on, agents getting involved in the game and it made it more difficult for anybody.
2: And that was obviously, the, that was an absolute cut off anyway from first division to Premier League football when yeah. they won the title. Wasn't yeah. it? Um, so, you know, obviously we've talked about your involvements. You're still involved now as an ambassador and apart from retaining the Glaswegian accent, you could not be more leads, I don't think, than... Than those of us who were born within the city, you, you an obvious love for the city, a love for the club. Does that how how big a disappointment then um, for you was it what happened in the early two thousands with the Champions League well, semi final and then the breakup of all that?
1: You spoke, Jonathan, about a disappointment. Plain point of view, for playing point of view, disappointment is obviously my thigh, you know, because I think I would have been a better player. I don't mind saying that, I would have been a better player. But, my biggest regret at the football club was actually going back as caretaker manager. Um, Trevor Birch, who was running basically the club at that time, came to see me and asked me to get back, told me the circumstances, basically told me the circumstances, Uh, but then I went back as caretaker, and we get relegated. Now, I look back in that time, and I think I still think I could have done more in myself. Yeah. But it wasn't an easy situation. I mean, they were selling players left, right, and centre, and asking players to take a waste cup. A new regime come in. Who? Um, it wasn't a good time to work at a football club. Let's put it that way. And we got relegated. Um, see. But getting back then, um, it was a wrong decision I made to get back. I know I'd left the club and went to manage other clubs, because that happens in football. Went to Rochdale where I enjoyed my time. Mm-hmm. Went to Hull City for a season. Then I come back and worked for, for, you know, George first, yeah, and, you and know, and the youth way. team. Well, I come back to work for Howard first, for right. the youth team with Paul Hart. Howard asked me back and we work, worked there. And, and all these young players come through, we win the Youth Cup we tremendous players, you know. We you know Kew and you know Woodgate Ian Hart Hart and Stephen McPhail we had lots of players and Paul Robinson played in goal you know you you a lot of international players but they all come through the system uh, and I enjoyed that time but uh, you know like they're the two biggest regrets that I've had since I came to the club when I was 15 getting my thigh injury when I was 16 and getting back as caretaker manager because even though I knew it was difficult and I never realised how difficult it was going to be till I get back in. And that's when I sort of I regretted my decision. I thought, I made the wrong move here. I could only see the club going away because there's no investment coming in the club. Yeah. And it was a difficult time for everybody at the club. And I'm including the players in this. Because players would come in and say to me, the club tried to sell me last night. I says, how do you know? Because my agent told me. You know, <laughs> that's how it was. You know, so, and asking players to take wage cuts, defer wages, and then there'd be a split in the camp, some were willing to do it, some were willing to go, I wouldn't have mentioned any names, but that's just how the club was, everybody was pulling in different directions, including the people of it in charge at that particular time. I think they were all pulling in different directions for each other, you know, and that made it difficult as well.
2: Eddie, it's been an absolute pleasure again to, to relive some of those great moments and to, to find out a bit more as well about your backstory and, and the Leeds United and Scotland, those great years. So many thanks for your time. Thanks for being on Sporting Lives. It's been a pleasure.
0: It certainly was a pleasure speaking to uh, Eddie Gray. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful gentleman and a wonderful, wonderful footballer as well. I just think what he could have achieved even more. Uh, had he not been blighted by that thigh injury for so long during that uh, tremendous career. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed uh, recording it with Eddie Gray. Don't forget, if you're a League United fan, uh, already up there on YouTube or on Podbean, uh, we've got uh, Sporting Lives with Nigel Martin. Uh, That's one to uh, get your teeth into from earlier on in 2020. Uh, There are other sports as well. Roland Butcher from cricket, Anthony McGrath, Yorkshire cricketer, Francis Cummins of the Leeds Rhinos, Stuart Cummings, rugby league referee, uh, of course, in the past and now a cricket uh, liaison officer, one of the top officials in the British game of cricket. Uh, still to come, Henrietta Knight, a trainer of Best Mate, triple Gold Cup winning racehorse of the early 2000s uh, and many more besides all that. Hope you're enjoying the series uh, please do stick with me. Please, if you haven't done so already, hit subscribe here on whichever um, audio podcast forum you're listening on, hopefully Podbean or iTunes or something like that. And also you can head to YouTube if you'd rather watch the videos and head for Sporting Lives with Jonathan dodge and subscribe to that channel. You'll get no, uh, no junk, no rubbish, just a trigger each time a new podcast goes up to alert you to uh, stick on the headphones and hopefully have a watch or a listen. Once again, thanks very much to you. If you've got any ideas on who you might like to see or hear on the podcast in future, then please do drop me an email to jonathandoidge at hotmail.com That's jonathandoidge at hotmail.com You can also follow the Facebook page uh, and also on Twitter where, on both counts, I am at sportinglives1. That's at sporting lives one hopefully then you'll join me again pretty soon for our next edition of sporting lives but from me it's bye for now